excited about sections 30 to 36. Yeah, I'm interested in talking about uh, what it means to be a child of God, because I think sometimes we kind of assume it means one thing, but these verses seem to suggest it means something different as well. So I'm also excited about the gathering of the elect and what that means exactly. Lots yeah. of gathering going on. So welcome. Before we get into our discussion, maybe we should follow up on what we read. Yeah, let's do it. We are talking about Doctrine and Covenants, sections 30 through 36 today. In these sections, the Lord is going to call various missionaries on missions, and he's also going to give them reassurance. We're also going to be taught that preaching the gospel prepares the way for the second coming, and that faithful individuals will become sons and daughters of God. And in these verses as well, in these sections, the Lord is going to speak and gather his elect. So there's a few different things that we're going to focus on today. The first is the Lord serving alongside us as we minister to other people. What does that look like? What is his role? What is our role? What does it mean to be a child of God? And we want to focus on this idea of gathering of the elect. So in order to help us do this, we would love to bring to the stage J.B. Haas. J.B., thank you for being with us. Thanks for helping us to dive deeper into the scriptures yeah, today. Yeah, welcome. Great to be with you, Daniel and Barb. Really happy to be here. So J.B. is an associate professor. He's also the associate dean of the College of Religious Education at BYU. His research focuses on 20th and 21st century LDS church history. Welcome, J.B. To thank begin, you. I'm wondering, before we get into our discussion proper, can you tell us what kind of stood out to you in these sections, anything that was meaningful or significant or things we need to know as we kind of work through them? Yeah, I was just impressed by how often uh, the Lord used biblical phrases to speak to these new converts to the church. And that says something to me about these individuals that, that the Bible was so much a part of their lives, just the fiber of who they were, that they could get the Lord's illusions right off. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it really inspired me to think, you know, it, do I make the scriptures that much a part of my, mm -hmm. my DNA that, you know, the Lord can speak to me through the scriptures. I, I just love how much the scriptures are interwoven in what the Lord's message is to, mm -hmm. to these new, uh, new converts to his cause. Yeah, excellent. So maybe we can get into our first topic then, which is uh, serving alongside the Lord. I know in sections 30 and 36, they contain, among other things, instructions from the Lord on preaching the gospel, specifically to the Lamanites. Can you give us any additional historical background to, to what was going on at this time? Yeah, I've, uh, you know, I, I tried to think about trying to capture the excitement they must have all been feeling at this time. I mean, we're five months after the church is organized, just right on the heels of the second conference of the church. And we hear the Lord's message to nine of these early converts who just must have been really excited, really enthusiastic about the chance to share the gospel, wanting to know what their next step was. And some of them are gonna be called to preach very close to home, like David Whitmer, and others mm -hmm. are gonna be called to go a thousand miles away, like Peter Whitmer. And I think we also, we can't miss the really exciting development. Four of these missionaries are heading to preach to the Lamanites, what they understood is going to deliver the Book of Mormon to the people that the Lord had made covenants with, that mm -hmm. this gospel would come to them and, and to Native Americans that they saw as remnant of Israel. Mm -hmm. So that, that must have been really thrilling for them. So 30, 32, 31, open your mouth in my cause, not fearing what man can do, for I am with you. I myself will go with them and be in their midst, be faithful unto the end, for lo, I am with you. So this is a promise given to these men uh, before they set out on their missions. And a question I have for you is, what do you think this means or what do you think this exactly looks like? And specifically in your life, in what ways has God been with you in your service? I think many times in my life that I've seen God with me is through friends and family just like helping me through trials or hard things that I'm going through in life. Like it may not be like I saw the angel Moroni like come down and speak to me, but it may be like, oh, an old friend sent me a text, like checking up like how I was doing. Just like little things in my life that I see that I know that God is with me and that he loves me. Excellent, thanks. 
I think that fits so well the spirit of these sections. So this is section 30, verse 6, um, talking to Peter, who's going to be a companion to Oliver Cowdery to make this thousand-mile yeah. trip. Mm-hmm. And he says, And be you afflicted in all his afflictions, ever lifting up your heart unto me in prayer and faith for his and your deliverance. And then it, it, it comes again in section 35 when the Lord is calling for Sidney Rigdon This is 35 verse 19, wherefore watch over him that his faith fail not. And maybe unexpectedly, this is asking Sidney to bolster Joseph Smith. I mean, there's there's something powerful about companions that give that kind of strength. And as part of the Lord's system, I I think that's a, a beautiful insight to notice that's the way we can feel God present with us. And I think we should look for those times when we might be that companion that someone needs. That's beautiful, thank you. Yeah, Priscilla. I was 27 when I joined the church, and I've heard for many, many years how missionary work is so very important. At that time, I was already married with a very young family, and I never thought I'd be able to do missionary work. But as I have learned through the teachings of the gospel, I now know that I can do missionary work through doing genealogy work. And I've heard the voice of the Lord many, many times doing this work because I've traveled through many parts of Japan and Okinawa looking for my ancestors. And it's amazing how the Lord speaks to you and people come into your lives that share their love for genealogy, although they're not members of the church. There have been so many promises, especially recently from President Nelson regarding family history work, temples, the presence and the spirit of the Lord and and angels being among us as we do that. So thank you. A testimony to what our prophet is saying currently as well. So we had a guest on on the show a while back, I think Virginia Pierce. She said something to the effect of, if you know somebody's story, you can't help but love them. I found that to be true in in my service of other people because loving a stranger doesn't come easily, I think, to, to any of us. But one of the ways in which the Lord has been present in my life is he helped me to see the goodness in other people and helped me to see them through their eyes. And in this way, I've been able to love them. And I felt like uh, it, it goes to their heart more directly, I feel like, when they know that we love them, when, when they know that we're, they're not a project or when they know that we're not just kind of going through the motions. And I think we can all pray for that gift to be filled with the pure love of Christ because this is the way that we can really connect to other people and share the gospel in a way that's effective. So as I've been listening to you talk about service, I've been thinking it's really easy to serve the people that you love. It just comes naturally and it's, it's just easy. But sometimes it's hard to serve people that you don't love. But the flip side of that is you always end up loving the people that you mm-hmm. serve. And I remember I had a mission companion when I was a missionary that was hard to love at first, but I served her and eventually I became really close with her and and loved her a lot. So I just think it's interesting that you love those you serve and you serve those you love and it just goes both ways. That's beautiful. I do think that in that service, whether it's a church calling or a family, we talked about Emma in section 25 and one of her responsibilities was to be a comfort to her husband. That's a huge calling when she was going through that. And I love this idea of these missionaries are going out there and they're serving. And sometimes, you know, I think about my own life. When have I been in a position to serve someone and I perhaps was too negative, or I perhaps was maybe a Debbie Downer in the situation, or maybe I didn't you know, use the testimony that I could have had. And, and we all have a choice of how we're going to influence each other. Not only do we need companions, but we need to be the companions serving, in a sense, for God. Yeah. So maybe we can look a little bit more closely about what is God's role in our service and what is the servant's role? And as we're going through these, be thinking about what are some general insights or observations you make about the nature of service as we're going through these things? 
So in these sections, God promises to loosen our tongues, to take the care of the things that we worry about, to open the hearts of the people, to send the comforter, to be with us, protect us, to show miracles, signs, and wonders. And then he expects the servant to do some things as well. Declare God tidings, spare not, open our mouths, strengthen, prepare people, be patient, don't revile, be meek and steadfast. He also encourages us to listen and pray and be faithful, be lowly of heart, be weak and unlearned. Just looking over those things, what kind of thoughts or questions or comments come to your mind uh, about the nature of service as it uh, pertains to the Lord's work? I think it's really important for me to receive inspiration mm-hmm. in the morning. And sometimes I have some people that I need to serve or in my calling, but I want to know, are there others? So I want to understand, um, is there someone else also that I need to go to? So I feel like my part is when I wake up, I just make it a point to ask, where would thou have me go? Mm-hmm. Who can I help? The other part is I do lean on him to be the other half of that. Mm-hmm. I, I lean on him to promise me that one, I'll know what to do, and two, that I'll be inspired and motivated to go and do, because I know I've been in circumstances where I will be given something to do and it wasn't exactly easy. But mm-hmm. because he's doing his part and I'm doing mine, it just makes it that much easier. So yeah. yeah. And that's super significant because if you look through some of these things, a lot of them don't apply necessarily to the message that they're going to preach, but they apply to what we should do to dispose ourselves to God's guidance, right? This idea that part of being a servant is just being open to being led by God. Excellent. Any other thoughts on the nature of service as it pertains to God's work based on these? I think it's interesting how in Doctrine and Covenants section 31 verse 9, it's saying be patient and don't get mad as long as you keep God in your mind and you're just always being kind it'll make it that much easier those who you serve you'll end up loving so if you just work hard on trying to serve you'll end up loving and it'll be so much easier right sometimes it doesn't come as naturally as as Daniel says and and we do that great comment thank you Luke I'd love to have you as an older brother so (laughs) that's what we all want yeah So this has been a great discussion on what it means to serve alongside the Lord and the ways in which the Lord is with us. I'm wondering now if we could talk a little bit about what it means to be a child of God, and specifically as it's mentioned in DNC 35. The question that was raised in my mind, we have this statement from the prophets, the family proclamation to the world, right? And it says, all human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. Each is a beloved son or daughter of heavenly parents. Okay, so it seems to suggest that all of us are children of heavenly parents, right? But in Doctrine and Covenants 35 verses one through two, it seems like something else is is going on here. So it says, listen to the voice of the Lord your God, even Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. I am Jesus Christ, the son of God, who was crucified for the sins of the world, even as many as will believe on my name, that they may become the sons of God, even one in me as I am one in the Father, and the Father is one in me, that we may be one. It seems here that becoming a child of God is something that we earn rather than something that we just have by virtue of being a human being. So what, what's going on here? Wow, great topic, Daniel. Yeah, I think this is something, a really crucial thing to talk about. Uh, okay, how about by show of hands, how many of you, I Am A Child Of God was the first primary song you remember learning? Is that, is that pretty universal? Okay, almost everybody. So I think Daniel set it up really nicely that we all are children of heavenly parents, but then each of us also can choose to become children of Christ. In 34, verse 3, that as many as would believe might become the sons of God. And then we heard section 35, the same kind of language, that as many as believe can become the sons of God. 
So you might be thinking, well, what's going on here? I mean, I, I thought we're just by nature, we're all children of heavenly parents. Well, I think this idea about becoming sons of God is talking about obviously something a little different. To me, the place where this is clearest and most powerful is what King Benjamin said in Mosiah 5 verse 7. And now because of the covenant which ye have made, ye shall be called the children of Christ, his sons and daughters. For behold, this day he hath spiritually begotten you. For ye say that your hearts are changed through faith on his name. Therefore you are born of him and have become his sons and his daughters. So I think we have these two things being set up, the children of heavenly parents, that's all of us, that's our universal, but we can choose by covenant to become sons and daughters of Christ. I have three wonderful sons, fantastic sons, and then I have a, a beautiful daughter. My sons are biological children for me and my wife, and my daughter's adopted. And I, I can't even say how much I love my daughter. But I, I admit, I, when I, we first contemplated adopting, uh, I was nervous. I loved my sons. I mean, they just felt so much a part of me. And I thought, what if I don't feel that same way about my daughter? When she was born, I can't even, again, describe the outpouring of love I felt. This, she was mine. And when we went to the temple and we were still together by covenant and seeing those two things just opened the eyes for me that that's the power of what it means to be begotten sons and daughters of Christ through covenant, through adoption. I mean, what does it mean to you to understand these different ways of being a child of God? How do you respond to this? For me, it definitely was a struggle to realize, you know, my worth in being a child of God. And I think at some point we all struggle with that. I notice, especially with life experiences that I went through, how it changes the way I think, knowing that I am a daughter of God and a woman of God, and how it changed how I view other people, that I can look in my mirror and see a daughter of God. I mean, there's just something special about knowing where you come from and your creator. And I think it's just amazing to see that complete change and knowing that um, as a daughter of God, I have a different outlook on literally everything. That's the power of internalizing the gospel. It's just not just a cognitive understanding. Yeah, I know I'm a child of God, but it is informed the way you see yourself. It's informed the way you see the world. It's informing you how you understand your relationship with God. Like it's a part of you now. We've been talking about this idea that we're all inherently children of God, but it also takes effort sometimes, right? Absolutely. Uh, and we have a, a video question from a viewer at home about this. Hi, my name is Sarah. I am a former high school teacher, recently turned stay-at-home mom. And my question is, how can I best hearken to the counsel that we received during General Conference? I love General Conference, and I know that God speaks to us through His servants. But sometimes I can get a little overwhelmed <laughs> at all the counsel that I receive and trying to think of how to apply all of it into my life. So maybe this is a good one to open up to our audience. What do you think? So it sometimes gets um, overwhelming when like all this school, COVID, all that stuff, and it gets really overwhelming sometimes. So take a stop for a minute and breathe mm -hmm. and wait until things calm down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I do. I think I'm very much blessed in, in the sense that my profession is to teach about the scriptures and things like that. So if I teach Monday through Friday and then get to Saturday and Sunday and it's 30 hours of the gospel, <laughs> like sometimes it's a, it's a little much. So, I mean, what I would encourage uh, Sarah is just do what works for you. I think it's important to listen to all of it and do the best we can to, to apply it. But I think it's important as well to do what works for us and to not, to not let it overwhelm us sometimes. So uh, for me, I think just knowing that 
It's not a race. It's just a, a long, arduous process of slowly becoming better day by day. And we just have to never stop trying to get better. It's a great comment. During general conference or any other times in our lives, you know, we, we are being told to do so many things. And we're also being told not to do so many things. <laughs> One of Satan's tools is to overwhelm us. He, he really wants us to feel like we can't do it all and so therefore we're not doing anything. And we have to be really careful to, to kind of find that balance between stretching as the Lord wants us to stretch and, and using the effort that President Nelson has also talked about between that and this idea of we can never be enough and so therefore I'm not. This, this idea of divine discontent is yeah. very healthy as Elder Maxwell talks about. Mm -hmm. Powerful comments. Uh, I just wanted to chime in with one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. He said, uh, we might think that God wanted obedience to a set of rules. What he really wants is people of a particular sort. Yes. And, and the thing I love about this question, uh, and, and hats off to this questioner, is that this is coming from a place of, of a good heart. Yeah. And, and, and so I would say um, your, your heart is in the place where you are coming, becoming that kind of person. Uh, and, and so I think when we focus on, instead of checking off a list of rules, we're saying, am I becoming a, a person of a particular sort? And yeah. I, I think this questioner probably is. Yeah. yeah, excellent. So this has been a great conversation about becoming children of God and how to do so without um, being overwhelmed. Maybe now we can transition to the gathering of the elect. Yeah, in fact, I think we have a question from an audience member that want to talk about that as well. Okay. Well, right now, me and my roommates are here in Rexburg at BYU-Idaho, um, and we read Doctrine and Covenants, section 30 through 36, and we came up with a couple of questions. How can we influence our peers and those around us to get excited about doing missionary work and serving those around us to, to help gather the elect and to, to gather Israel? What a great group of young men. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes me happy all smashed on that couch together. All throughout here, the Lord is saying to the people, open your mouth. And, and they do. And that, that's the beauty is one person after the other. You know, some people may be shy. Some people may be hesitant. There, there are a variety of reasons why we struggle to open our mouths. But when we do open our mouths, the Lord fills it. I, I think one of the ways that, that we get excited about the gathering of elect is we love people. And we love God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the, my favorite stories from this, this section, from the people involved, is, is a story about Ezra Thayer. Brand new convert, feeling overwhelmed, feeling nervous. And later in life, he remembered a vision that he had um, that kind of prepared him for this revelation. And he said in this vision, a man came to him and handed him a trumpet and said, blow this. And he said back, I've never blowed any trumpet in my life. And the man said, try it, blow it. And he said, I put it in my mouth and the most beautiful sound I'd ever heard came out. And then he said, that man who brought the paper was Oliver Cowdery and with this revelation about lifting up his voice like a trump. And the thing I love about this Ezra Thayer story is, you know, when we feel those moments like, I don't know if I can do this. The answer that came back in this vision was try it. These missionaries, as JB was talking about, were being called to go preach among the Lamanites. In the process of going to Missouri, they teach Sidney Rigdon. You know, Sidney is this religious leader and they have the gall in the sense to go talk to him and share with him the Book of Mormon. At first he's a little bit hesitant, but after he's reading the Book of Mormon, he gives this, this talk, he can't even hesitate. He wants people to actually come in and teach. Sidney was a preparer for those who are going to be gathered. And I love, I love the fact that the Lord even endorses the righteousness of his work. So in the next verse, thou didst baptize by water into repentance. I mean, so he's, he's saying, you were doing a good thing. I mean, these were people that were making commitments to repent. And, 
And then he says, but now it's sort of in the spirit of President Hinckley, mm. bring all the good you have and let's see if we can add more. Mm. But they receive not the Holy Ghost, but now I give unto thee a commandment that thou shalt baptize by water and they shall receive the Holy Ghost. Yeah. And I, I love that spirit of the Lord pointing out the righteousness and the goodness of what he was doing and mm. touching hearts. Yeah. Have there been people in your lives who have brought you closer to Christ who weren't members of the church? So my oldest children are triplets, but they were in the NICU for several weeks when they were first born. And I had a nurse who wasn't a member of the church, but she was just the kindest, nicest nurse to just reassure me and love me and let me know that everything was going to be okay. And she, I think of her as a Christ-like example. She didn't know me until my babies were born, but she was kind to me and loved me and helped me during those first few days of being a mom. Yeah, I remember Elder Holland speaking, and I wish I could remember exactly who he was, but he was not a member of church, but he was a leader of another church. And he said to him, you are one of the elect. You were chosen before you were born. And I remember thinking, we use that as if it's only for members of the church. Mm -hmm. But it's not just for members of the church. The Lord has prepared people from pre-mortality to be a part of this gathering and to gather the elect. So here's a quote by the First Presidency. This is the 15th of February, 1978. They say this, I just, I've always loved this statement. Based upon ancient and modern revelation, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints gladly teaches and declares the Christian doctrine that all men and women are brothers and sisters, not only by blood relationship from common mortal progenitors, but also as literal spirit children of an eternal father. The great religious leaders of the world, such as Mohammed, Confucius, and the reformers, as well as philosophers, including Socrates, Plato, and others, received a portion of God's light. Moral truths were given to them by God to enlighten whole nations and to bring a higher level of understanding to individuals. So well said, Barb. Uh, I, I think another classic statement that puts an exclamation point on this and, and, and right aligned with the 1978 First Presidency Statement, Elder Orson F. Whitney said it, and then Elder Ezra Taft Benson quoted him a couple decades later, is that he said, um, God's work is too big for any one people. So it's not just for Latter-day Saints. He said, uh, others and other faithful people are our partners in God's work. And, and I, that, that, that changed my paradigm for the way of looking at the world, uh, is that God's work is about all kinds of people and it's too big for just one people. And we have partners who are faithful people in other traditions. Going along with how people are all different, but like there's something beautiful about everything someone shares. Religion is the same way, I feel like. Most religions are trying to lead people to just becoming better individuals. And I feel like sometimes we're afraid to share the gospel or things that we believe because we don't want to like force like the, our religion on other people. But when people have shared something from their religion with me, I've never felt like they're trying to like convert me or anything. It just feels like they're trying to share something beautiful about their religions. And I feel like that's what we should focus on and we need to remember that that's okay to share things from our religion. Ayana, you remind me of, of an experience I had on my mission. We were meeting with this lady, Maria, and my companion asked, if the Lord wants you to join the church, will you? And she said, the Lord will never tell me that. And not only that, but my husband will be so angry. He'll be so upset. So my companion was smart enough again. And she said, but if the Lord says to, will you do it? And she said, well, sure, if the Lord says to, of course I will, but he won't. So long story short, we all end up praying and she committed that day to be baptized. That night, we got a phone call from her husband. This was in Spanish, so I wasn't really talking to him, but I could hear the conversation with my companion. And then she explained to me, he called that night and he said, I cannot tell you how grateful I am that you taught my wife. I was serving as an assistant to the president in Mexico City, and I met her. And I didn't let her know that I was a member of the church. And he said, for 10, 15 years, I have kept from her that I was a member of the church. And it took you sisters going on a mission, finding her at the door and asking her to be baptized for me to actually open up to her and tell her 
that I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then he said, would you mind if I got my life prepared and baptized her myself? To which we said, of course. And he did, and he baptized her two weeks later. But I think of what you're saying. Like, we, we've got to be willing to open our mouths. We have to be willing to share, especially with those we love and, and within our stewardship. It's a beautiful comment, Ayana. Thank you so much. This has just been a beautiful discussion, and thank you so much for sharing your insights on what it means to gather the elect. So we'd like to thank you, JB, especially for being here. Yeah, thanks for your insights and your experiences as well. We appreciate it. We'd like to thank you and the audience as well. Thank you for your comments. They've been very insightful, some of your questions, and especially for your testimonies and for having the light of Christ with you. It shows in your eyes. And to those of you at home, thank you for your comments and suggestions and insights that you shared with us via social media. We'd love to have you in the studio with us sometime, but if you can't join us, we hope you'll watch next week on Come Follow Up. Thanks. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.